coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. Everything that good happens through having a proper perspective, a proper and healthy perspective on ourselves, on other people, on life. So the more that we can truly begin not only to see the glass half filled, you know, we love that saying, you know, hey, is the glass either half filled or half empty? But I'm one to say, you know, when you have a proper and healthy and balanced perspective, the glass is actually always overflowing. We just got to look for it. Do you want to learn the tricks the top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 33. This episode's interesting fact is, according to infoprolearning.com, 91% of millennials who are not actively looking for a new job only plan to stay for less than three years at their current job. This may explain why 84% of organizations anticipate a shortfall of leaders in the next five years. Our guest today may be able to do something about those daunting figures. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Rob Holman. Rob is an internationally recognized leadership expert, executive coach, keynote speaker, and author. Rob's dynamic teaching style has successfully led countless business owners, executives, and leaders through his proprietary method of inside-out leadership coaching. In helping his clients learn how to connect with their unique life's purpose, they are finding success in a way they never expected from the inside out. Rob has founded numerous highly influential organizations, both for-profit as well as nonprofit, and is the author of the best-selling book, Lead the Way. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Naftali, great to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation, and uh, I really admire you and the work that you do, and I think that it's going to make for a very interesting, intriguing, and, uh, and dynamic conversation. So thank you for having me. No, it's really my pleasure. And uh, the little bit that we've gotten to know each other in our pre-recording conversation, I'm already juiced and excited uh, to learn more about what you do. But, you know, it's interesting before we get started, Rob, you know, sometimes typically I speak to people who are either in leadership positions or people who are supporting those who are leaders. And you have both angles. You have both of those experiences, which is neat. And that's really going to, you know, I think add so much color and so much perspective uh, to our conversation today. And so let's do this right away if we can. Let's focus on your inside out leadership coaching. What is it? And how do you support clients with that work? Yeah, here's what I've realized. You know, I've had the honor to start as you mentioned in the intro, six for-profit, you know, a number of different businesses, but uh, six have been for-profit, three non-profit uh, over the last 20 years. And, you know, that gives me a good basis of understanding of how people operate, how leaders lead, some of the uh, failures, some of the successes. So here's what my experiences have told me, as well as statistical data to back it up. At the end of the day, nearly 90% of workers are disengaged from their work, lack of meaningful purpose and passion in what they do in day in and day out. What's actually more alarming than that, though, are their leaders, about 80% are the leaders of those individuals are disengaged from their work. Hmm. So my experience tells me that research and data to back it up. So there, there comes, there lies a problem. And I'm like, okay, leaders obviously know that there's something going on here and they want to you know, maximize performance, their personal performance, workers' performance, et cetera. But it's what they're throwing at this problem that, in my opinion, 
Again, it's not all bad. I think things could be that much better. In the United States alone, over $500 billion is thrown to try to solve that problem. But here's what many leaders are doing. They're putting, they're trying to throw external things, you know, incentive-based things and exterior things to try to get into the heart and into the mind of the worker. So again, these things aren't all bad. You know, motivation is pretty good, uh, but I'm more about inspiration than motivation. If you can begin to understand the person, the uniqueness, the significance of the person, the worker, even you as a leader, get to know yourself better. Now, out of that place, you begin to be inspired. You begin to embrace the, the goodness in you, the greatness in you. And out of that place, people are now compelled from the inside out to be about performance. So one is about uh, exterior, external things, trying to get in the inside. What I want to do is, and what I've devoted my life to, is getting on the inside. This is truly inside out leadership, getting on the inside of the individual through self-discovery and then having it work itself out. So let's talk about that, Rob. That was a fantastic answer, but there are a couple of things in there that actually surprised me. The engagement part, not so much because I'm familiar with the research as well. And I know that so many workers here in the U.S. and beyond, in fact, I understand that the U.S. is better statistically than most other countries in this respect of worker engagement or disengagement. Uh, the leader disengagement, though, that surprised me, the, the, the percentage that you mentioned. And I'm curious to understand that more because to me, if you are a leader, I mean, you could be a leader in different ways. You could be part of a, you know, somebody else's corporation, somebody else's entity, and you just have a management or executive role within it, but it's still not your baby, so to speak. But many people have founded their companies or the inspiration or the vision behind their, their organizations. Why would those folks be struggling so much with engagement? Yeah, great point. I think many start out on the right track, to your point. You know, the business owner, the, the one, you know, let's say there's a couple of business partners going in to start a business together. And this is both for and nonprofit. So I think in the early stages, they're excited, they're enthused. There's, they have a level of vibrancy based on purpose, based on their big why. Like, why did we start this in the first place? You know, maybe they've clearly identified some problems that exist out there in the world that they want to be a solution for. But what happens is, you know, life happens really at the end of the day. Problems start to come about. In time, the world, the negative uh, aspects of the world of business culture start to weigh on that business owner. They start to weigh on that leader. And before long, and this is even found more in probably my experience tells me more for profits than nonprofits. But all of a sudden, you know, they start to tire. The leader just starts to tire. Now they're dealing with stuff as things grow. Maybe there's positive, even some positive momentum. Now there's more things to manage, more people to manage, and they can get lost in the growth or enhancement of their own business. So therefore, now the business, the processes actually get a little ahead of uh, the heart, the true purpose of why they started it in the first place. So how do you help folks get back to that issue, if you will, of self-discovery and purpose? What, what are some of the tools you use and what are some of the breakthroughs that you've experienced? Yeah, great question. So, you know, for me, I think everything that's built in a healthy manner has foundations. And Naftali, I'm just a huge person. Like sometimes we just need to get back to the basics. Sometimes we just need to come, someone to come alongside and say, hey, you remember what it used to be like, you know? And so for me, inside out leadership foundations are a huge part of this. I love, regardless of where someone is in their life and entrepreneurial journey, they could be an aspiring leader. They can be a seasoned leader. But, you know, these foundations I'm about to discuss are really, really valuable. One is 
you know, we've got to know that everything that good happens through having a proper perspective, a proper and healthy perspective on ourselves, on other people, on life. So the more that we can truly begin not only to see the glass half filled, you know, we, we love that saying, you know, hey, is the glass either half filled or half empty? But I'm, I'm one to say, you know, when you have a proper and healthy and balanced perspective, the glass is actually always overflowing. We just got to look for it. We got to look for the good in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. And so I think a good starting foundation uh, or a foundation to revisit is it's all about perspective. Second is how do we define success? At the end of the day, you know, are we going to let our culture or are we going to even let our business culture define success for us? Case in point, you know, wow, for me to be successful, I've got to make a six-figure income by this point. And if not, man, I'm doing some things wrong. Or do we actually redefine success? And this is foundation two, redefine success. Redefine success based on the things that really matter to you, to me. And, and that you have to do some digging in there of like, you know, hey, I am made uniquely. I am, you know, I, I really understand who I am and what matters to me. So that's really important. So number one is it's all about perspective. Second is helping a person redefine success based on the things that really matter to them. Third huge foundation is I call it the authentic you. At the end of the day, so many leaders are spending more time comparing themselves to other people. And I call it the if I syndrome. And people do this subconsciously. They also do it consciously. If I had the money, if I had the influence, if I had the power, if I had the smarts like this person, as opposed to channeling that energy, we would be spending focused on comparing ourselves to other people, channeling that into a self-discovery process only to understand and embrace how each person is uniquely made. So there's just three foundations that are a huge aspect of inside out leadership. Yeah. That's great, Rob. And actually, I think I'm guilty of number three. As I'm listening to all of your passion, I'm saying, if I only had Rob's passion, <laughs> you know, I, I would I would be in a different place right now. That's awesome. There's so much to unpack here. You know, you talk about, and a lot of it, I, I see some overlap, even though you did, you did clearly distinguish the three different elements. Uh, a lot of it comes back down ultimately to attitude and perspective. You know, what is it? Who am I? And, and what really uh, offers me what we'd call, I guess, purpose and meaning and a sense of accomplishment. And so often that's defined by other people, you know, the world at large. And I think today, if I had to guess, because I haven't been doing this that long where, you know, I predate social media in that respect. But if, if we were doing this in a pre-social media era where perhaps we had less people for lack of a better term, in our face all the time, showing us all the good stuff that they're doing and never really showing us the other side of things, or at least not nearly as much, maybe we'd have a different self perspective. But I think that because we live in a time and place where there's so much of folks putting themselves out there and really, you know, always trying to put their best foot forward. And I'm not trying to be critical of that, but yeah. that's just the reality. Yeah. You know, it's hard for people who are struggling, you know, for the folks who are not doing as well financially as some other people, or maybe just they don't feel the same level of passion. You know, how do they get themselves to go beyond that or perhaps just to ignore all that outside noise mm -hmm. so that they could focus deeply on themselves? And I have a feeling that because you are a coach and I am as well, you know, that's really what coaching is all about. It's, it's helping folks take a step back, you know, get a different perspective, really answer important questions about purpose and value. And like you talked about self-discovery, who am I? What's my unique, uh, not only my unique, my unique selling proposition to others, but really for myself as well. You know, we have to view ourselves almost as if we're 
selling to ourselves. I know it sounds a little bit strange, but to me, that's that's kind of how I look at it. I need to be in the business of convincing myself yeah. on a regular basis that I'm doing, and doesn't mean I can't grow and I can't get better, but that I'm fundamentally doing good work and work specifically that meets my needs. Like, so for example, you know, when I chose to hang my shingle a number of years back and start in the coaching space after a bunch of years in educational leadership, you know, I knew that part of what I wanted was the freedom and the independence to serve people in a variety of settings and a variety of different types of environments, but at my pace and on my schedule and the work that I would choose to do. And as an educational leader, I didn't have that freedom. You know, I had to show up every day in the same location. Doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it, but it was, it felt very restrictive to some degree. And I wanted that freedom. I wanted to be able to answer to myself and to my wife and not to a board. It was just my thing. And, uh, and this has given me the freedom to do that. And even though, at least initially, I wasn't raking in the same level of income, which thankfully has grown year over year, but, but I, it wasn't there initially to the same degree, but it created a lifestyle that I ultimately felt would support what I wanted to become for the long term. See, I, I absolutely love that. And, you know, just take, uh, taking us into your life, your world. You know, I get asked this a lot, uh, Naftali. I, people ask me, they say, Rob, with this inside out leadership, everything we've been discussing, people are like, well, hold on, if you put yourself first, if you go in a self-discovery process, wouldn't you become self-absorbed in the midst of that? Hold on. I was always told that we're supposed to serve other people, take care of other people. It sounds noble. It sounds admirable. But what I always share with people is, you know, you can only give what you got. And yep. sadly, I, I noticed so many leaders that have a wonderful heart. And they are about serving other people, honestly, with the time spent and the things that they do. But it's at what cost? Because they're running themselves and stretching themselves way too thin. They're stressed out. They're running on fumes, if not burnt out, and don't fully realize it. So for me, it's taking a necessary time out for you as a unique individual and leader that's necessary. And here's what I found. When you truly go on an authentic self-discovery process and you find all these wonderful seeds of greatness that are on the inside of you, you know, you can't even become that self-absorbed because you know you did nothing to earn or deserve these things. They were given to you as a gift when you were created. And so for me, now we have to be good stewards of those gifts, but for me, that's the epitome of, of humility is that when you actually know you did nothing to deserve something, but yet they've been given to you as a gift and you discover or rediscover the the beauty that's within you, now you begin to operate function out of that place and serve others out of that place. Now there's meaning, purpose, passion, and you truly give what you got. Wow. You know, I, uh, as an Orthodox Jew, I'm a uh, student of the Bible amongst other texts. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because the, the, the Torah says very clearly that Moses was the most humble uh, of all people, at least, you know, as it was written, but it's intended for perpetuity as well. And it's an interesting conversation, what humility really is. And the irony is that he wrote those words. Mm-hmm. He was the one, according to tradition, who transcribed the word of God, you know, into the current form that we have. Yes. And so how can you write that you're the most humble yes. and yet be humble? And yet have that inner humility. But it really is about understanding who you are. And like you said, Rob, the gifts that you were given, it doesn't make me better than you. It just means that I was empowered in a different way than you. And in his case, perhaps in in the most transformative sense to impact not only himself and his own character, but really his nation and the world who has been influenced so much by it, you know, in all subsequent centuries and generations. Mm -hmm. So that really is a very empowering concept because 
when a person starts to think of their gifts, like you indicated, often we start to think about how, you know, does that make me arrogant? Does that make me, you know, pushy or in some way, am I trying to grab more for myself? But that I think dovetails into your other point, because you discussed how, you know, you want to be able to give, you want to be able to serve others, but you also need to be able to do so for yourself. And if you and I, for example, were running around and just coaching everybody for free, just because we want to be givers and that's how we got into this business, then we couldn't take care of our families. And ultimately we couldn't be there for other people. Yeah, And I think that's a critical point for every leader, regardless of whether you're in the service industry, like coaching or consulting, or whether you're running a business of any kind or any organization, you as the leader are, and research is very clear on this, you are the most important person ultimately in your organization, not because necessarily that you're smarter or you're better or you're more talented, but just because of the authority that you were granted or gifted or that you created on your own. And I think it's really critical for leaders to understand, I need to be able to utilize that in a way that's going to help me give to others and create opportunities and blessing for everybody around them. Oh, I could not could not agree more. You know, you, you'd mentioned the Bible, and uh, I'm a student of the Bible too. Love the Old Testament. I, you know, I can't help but think in the midst of our conversation. I believe it was in the book of Exodus with with Moses, and he was experiencing God on Sinai, and and uh, God understanding, you know, helping him understand who he was as well as the mission that he'd been called to. And out of that place, you know, he was worshiping God, and he comes down from the mountain, and his face was radiant. And I just love that because it speaks so much of of God, God affirming, God uh, encouraging, God stirring up, and and then out of that place of being filled up in the presence of God. Uh, in a very unique and powerful way, he comes down from that mountain. And again, that face being radiant and living with vibrancy and a lifestyle of not just hearing from God, but experiencing God and then taking that with him to the Israelites. I just love that. Yeah. And if I could embellish that even even further, for those of us listening at Lead to Succeed Nation, obviously, if you're a believer, uh, I'm hopeful that this message resonates with you. But even if you're not, regardless of your or religious or, or other affinities, the reality is every leader can be radiant, yes. whether it's because of divine inspiration but or just fundamentally because you feel that however it comes to one, you know, that you have a sense of purpose and mission. Knowing what that is, coming back to Rob's initial point, building from the inside out, and then very confidently, in many cases, very quietly, especially if you're like myself, you're more introverted in nature, but nonetheless, to be able to radiate the goodness that you have within you, the leadership, the inspiration that comes from within, and use that to inspire people around you, then you're really, you're really giving a gift. And I think that's very powerful. Mm, that's so good. So good. So let's move a little bit further, Rob, into some of your other experiences. And, and this is something that intrigues me very much because, as I said before, I spent time in school leadership. I now work with leaders in both the nonprofit as well as the for-profit space. And some of the blog posts that I've written over the years focuses specifically on this, and I'd love to get your take on it. Yeah. What would you say would be a, a lesson that a for-profit leader who typically may look at non-for-profits and say, well, that's wonderful. They're making such a contribution to the community, but what can they teach me about organizational leadership? What can they teach me about running a business? Is there a lesson that you feel from your experience as a non-profit leader or just working with others that for-profit leaders can learn from their non-profit counterparts? Boy, I love that question. And uh, I, I would say something that jumps out to me right away would be, Many nonprofit leaders uh, that I know, I've experienced over the years, they do walk with a very consistent 
person, you know, or passion and purpose. But they make it, and again, I'm making a vast generalization, but this has been my experience. It's about people. Uh, far more than maybe my experience with uh, for-profits would be. Now, for-profits, I know a lot of people, it's about people and everything, but it, my nonprofit world, and I do lead, I have a nonprofit right now, you know, it's it's just the focus on people uh, where it's like people first uh, and the purpose behind that, that not just utilizing people to get things done as much as like really focused on people before things is really at the forefront and at the center of what, of what a, lot, mm. a lot of nonprofits do. Again, a lot of for-profits do it too. I just find that consistency and that heart of it being about people, the core of the core is the bullseye on the target is about people. And I think if a lot of for-profits, listen, I'm in the midst of for-profits as well. If for-profits are honest with themselves, sometimes they can put things a little bit more before people. Uh, and in the midst of that, they get lost. And the company yeah. get lost. So I just, yeah, I just think that many nonprofits are just a cheerleader. People hold that torch, let it shine brightly. And I'm finding that more and more for-profit business leaders are asking those nonprofit business leaders, "How are you doing that? How do you have that lasting perspective?" Because I want it to become more about people and the way that you see that. Sure. Yeah. I'm wondering if part of it, as you're talking, is about the very mission that caused the non-for-profit to go into to come into existence in the first place. Yeah. As you indicated, so much of it, whether it's education or other services, it's all about providing for your community. Mm-hmm. Whereas for-profit is ultimately for building business and, and making, you know, making a livelihood and earning, you know, good, good money and creating whatever widget or service that you are, that you're putting out there. Yeah. Uh, maybe one way to approach it, and this is something that I've shared with audiences as well as in my writing, is to really try to imagine the end user. You know, really try to think about if I'm making computers, for example, if I'm from providing, you know, internet service, you name it, and and I now can think about how am I ultimately making the life of somebody else better? You know, what type of transformation is occurring because they have my resource that I'm providing. So even though, yes, they're paying me money and I'm making a profit over that transaction, but at the same time, I'm still doing something that's transforming humanity, hopefully for the better. Anyone who fits into that space, I think could gain some inspiration there. Oh, couldn't agree more. And I think these uh, nonprofit leaders that that live that way, and it's about people and, and it, kind of the torch that they carry. You know, I'm a visual person, Naftali, and I, I just picture like they have the heart, that heartbeat, it beats strong and it keeps pumping that blood and it just goes throughout the entire body is that. So I think that's really important. And that speaks to me about vibrancy because, you know, there's so many for-profit companies, they may have a lot of other great things happening, but may not have that vibrancy in the way that they want, where there's that, that blood pumping throughout the whole, the whole company and with meaning and purpose. And, and it's about people and they want more of that. They want more of that heart that beats and, uh, and, and they find it certainly from their, from their nonprofit counterparts. That's fantastic. And I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking you've talked about the big why before. So of course I'm thinking about Simon Sinek and, you know, knowing your why. And I think every organization really does need to spend some time thinking about, you know, why are they in business? The obvious answer is to make a profit, but what else is behind it and how can they use that thing that's behind it? That's ultimately going to give them the, the long-term traction and motivation to push forth despite you know, we all think we'll start up a company and everything will go smooth, but we know how so many startups fail because ultimately, not only did they did they lack perhaps in the funding and the planning and things like that, 
but do they lack at their core a sense of, of, of why am I really here? What are we really, you know, looking to accomplish and can we push through uh, when things get difficult? And so I want to actually take the question now and reverse it for you, Rob, and ask you now the other way. And that question now becomes non-for-profits do their purpose and mission very well, but what could they learn from the for-profit space that may help them either in terms of their, let's call it their business model or anything else in terms of running their organizations? Yeah, I, I love what you're bringing up with the, you know, what can the for-profits learn from the nonprofits and nonprofits learn from the for-profits because it's two sides of the same coin. And if we confuse both these things together, we just talked about it being about people and the vibrancy and the heartbeat. What I think that uh, many nonprofit leaders can learn from for-profit leaders is about long-term sustainability. Sometimes those nonprofit leaders, they have such a heart and, and they're led by the heart and they're, they're sensitive to people and they're going, but only to find out that it can fizzle and fade much uh, quicker than they would ever certainly hope for or even, yeah, thought. And so if we can learn about how do we then, if we have this heart, we're led by the heart, we love people and there's this vibrancy, how can we wrap our arms around that passion, that purpose, that heartbeat with proper processes and systems that can, you know, turn into long-term sustainability. See, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, it's always function before form, but both are needed. You know, what we just talked about with nonprofit leaders, it's about in function, they care about people and everything we just talked about. But yet, if it just is about that, you know, and we don't have the proper process and systems to facilitate that growth, then we are going to fizzle and fade. But if we're led by the heart and have a heart for people, we have a heart filled with purpose and passion of what we do day in and day out, and we wrap our arms around that, and, and we basically facilitate that growth by having the proper uh, things in place, uh, T's crossed, I's dotted, as it relates to, again, I always go back to this, necessary processes and systems that will help us become that much more effective and efficient. Now, Naftali, we're talking about stewardship. And I love that word stewardship because now with the people that are entrusted in my care, the sphere of influence I have within business, if I, if I keep them first, I keep the people first and that heart keeps beating. Now, if I find ways to further enhance that through process and systems, now I'm, a, I'm being actually a really good steward of whom and what has been entrusted in my care. So here's my last question, Rob, if I can, because you hit on an interesting point. And I'm thinking if I'm a nonprofit leader listening to this conversation, and, and I'm speaking, by the way, from personal experience as well, I might be saying to myself, you know what? I know how to X and that X might be educate. It might be share wisdom. It might be to nurture or heal or anything like that. But I'm really not a business person. I really don't know the business side of things. And so my fixed mindset kicks in and I say, I didn't get into this for the business side. I'm here for the service side. What do, you, what do you tell people? I mean, obviously you can't give us a whole, you know, let's call it business foundational 101 in the two minutes that I'm allotting to this question. <laughs> but what I am asking is, how do you help people shift their mindset or, or just in general, how do you help folks shift their mindset so that when they think that they have a, you know, an immovable roadblock that's going to prevent them from really taking that next step. And, you know, I, I know for me in growing my coaching business, that's been one of the hardest parts for me because I was never in business development in the past, at least not directly. Maybe I know, picked up the skills in various ways, but a lot of folks probably have that same struggle. How do you get them to think differently and to push forward so that they ultimately can get enough of a business sense in order to grow their 
uh, non-for-profit the way they need to? Yeah, I think the the average leader, especially in the nonprofit world, they need to have some bit of business experience, you know, at least on the job learning. However, I would say to that person, you need to remain, a vast majority of your time needs to remain you know, understanding who you are, operating and functioning out of a place of purpose and passion personally and professionally. That needs to be a vast majority of your time. Casting vision, understanding your purpose, helping lead other people in that way. What I encourage people to do is you don't want to become that business person where you're spending a vast majority of your time on the business. You want to make sure that heartbeat remains well and alive and it's rubbing off on other people and casting vision surrounding that. So, okay, Rob, that sounds great, but the business still needs to get done. Yeah. I have found find people that that is their passion. Find people that that is their their greatest strength. If you're in a nonprofit world, you can find volunteers, interns, uh, people to help that they would want to do that. That's their, you know, I always say this, Naftali, it's like our weakness, if, if we have a weak area, that's a strength of another person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this big, big thing of like, well, I just need to work on my weaknesses to s- try to stay balanced between my strengths and weaknesses. I don't buy into that. I actually am a, more of an advocate for focus on your strengths and your passions. Find people to take over a little bit more of your weak areas. doesn't mean you don't do and improve on them at all, but find more time to find people, to recruit people on a volunteer basis, part-time, or even full-time if you have the funds to be able to afford someone, that, that your area of weakness becomes their strength. And now you, are, you carry the torch of vibrancy and purpose and passion of why you started the business in the first place. Find other people that maybe those weak areas for you are now a strength for them, and there's creative ways to see those things through. And now you start to develop a nice, balanced team where you can do what you're most gifted at doing. They can do what they're most gifted at doing. And it makes for unity and diversity at the end of the day and vibrancy with long-term sustainability. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a great structure and a great approach. And I think oftentimes we have this notion that we need to shore up on all of our weaknesses. And I remember through a variety of trainings and just just general, you know, thinking around this issue, you know, we're not going to be great at everything and we're not necessarily going to be interested in everything. And while we do want to have basic awareness, basic capacity so that we can oversee and guide other people. At the same time, we don't have to be great in all of those areas. And we certainly don't want to be spending more of our time than necessary outside of our sweet spot, outside of where we can make our greatest contribution. And to your point, Rob, you then find other people to fill out the team so that you can you can really focus on what you're best at. And many organizations could be outsourcing virtually and otherwise a lot of the tasks needed, which are going to minimally impact their budget, but provide the leadership with the maximal amount of time, energy, and passion for what he or she ultimately does best. So that's a great yeah, answer. It's a good okay, word. good stuff. So it is now time for us to transition and move into our rapid fire segment. Ooh, I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to sweat already. Uh, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. I only got a few of them today and we're looking for short answers here, but you can elaborate if you feel appropriate. The first one is an awesome productivity hack. I would say awesome productivity hack. Oh, it could be anything from a goal setting and timekeeping type yeah. of tool or some other yeah. mental shift that you might make. That's going to get you. I would say it would probably be time blocking is a big one for me. Okay. Favorite pre-morning ritual? Oh, gratitude without a doubt. Best time to clean up your messy desk? Every moment of the day, Naftali. (laughs) Well, if you do that, it probably wouldn't be so messy, but I don't think I'm doing it nearly as often as I should be. And finally, your favorite sports-themed movie? 
I would have to say the movie Hoosiers. Oh, that's so interesting because that's that's actually the top of my list too. Yeah, I'm just curious. What what about it? Yeah, I, I for me, I'm a basketball guy. I played college and even seven years of professional basketball, and it just brings you back to the fundamentals of the game. I mean, sometimes it's getting back to the basics. You know, Gene Hackman, who was the coach, uh-huh. he was this hard nosed coach, but he was all about fundamentals and in teaching these young men getting back to like you know, why they're playing, but, but just how to play properly. And out of that place, their confidence would begin to grow uh, personally and team-wise. And then they were able to take on, you know, some of the much more talented teams out of that place. So I, I think it speaks volumes to us as sometimes getting back to the basics. And when we do so, some amazing things can begin to happen. That's really neat. And I know you live near Philadelphia and I'm, I'm going to assume that you're a Sixers fan, but I will tell you, the Knicks could probably use some help both on the court and in the coaching uh, realm. So if you are, if you could use any of that experience to help uh, my beleaguered uh, franchise, by all means, let me know. I'll see if I can put you in touch with the right people. Please, anything. Okay. So, so Rob, before we go, take a minute, please, to tell uh, Lead to Succeed Nation how they can get in touch with you, more about your work, anything you want to share at this time. Yeah. If anyone's listening and just some of this inside out leadership, uh, you know, philosophy approach and, uh, you know, tools for the tool belt uh, is just, yeah, is being impactful. Uh, two ways you can, you can probably get in touch with me. One is just go to my personal website and that's robholman.com. And that's Rob with two Bs. Second is with my book, Lead the Way. A great resource for that is uh, leadthewaybook.com. Thank you, Rob. And we're going to include your links in our show notes. So leave us, please. You've given us so much gold, so much to think about. We're recording this on a uh, Friday morning in late April. Uh, Probably we'll be sharing this with Lead to Succeed Nation in June. But nonetheless, we're going to get, if I can, one last final life lesson from you. Yeah. At the end of the day, and I said this earlier, that um, much of the world sees a glass half empty you know, pessimistic person, let's say, or, or glass half filled, optimistic person. When you live out of, a, have a life of a healthy perspective on yourself and other people and, and redefine success based on the things that really matter to you and go on a self-discovery process, now you begin to see the cup always overflowing. Beautiful. You know, I'm really glad that today's leadership quote, which I'm about to read, is a biblical quote because I think it's got so much depth and this, of course, ties in beautifully to our conversation from before. And today's quote is from Proverbs 29:18: when there is no vision, the people perish. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you could lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to pick up your copy of Becoming the New Boss on Amazon. Learn more about the book at becomingthenewboss.com. If you already got your copy, be sure to rate the book and leave a comment. Rob, it's really been a pleasure talking with you. I feel I've learned so much. Thanks so much for coming on Lead to Succeed today. And I want to wish you and all of our listeners a wonderful day. And thanks again. Thanks enough, Tali. It's been a joy being with you. I've learned a lot from you as well. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. You got it. Have a great day now, everyone. All the best.